Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi everybody, I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Okay, joining us today is Deborah Perez. She shares a sweet story of her mother and the things we remember from a life lived. It led us to discuss raising adults because we might not always be there for our children. And it made us think about the things we would like our kids to remember us for. Today's guest is a friend of mine since childhood, and I'm really excited that she said yes, because I read this story and I loved it because I know her mother and mm -hmm. I love her mother. Yeah. Um, and uh, she wrote this a very long time ago. And when I was doing this podcast, I was like, Deb, I really want you to bring that story about your mom and that shell to my podcast. And she finally said yes. So hi, Deb. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Just give us a little setup for the story so everyone knows the context of what we're about to hear. Okay, so um, I'm a mommy of three, and I've been a mommy for 35 years. And um, at the time that I wrote this, uh, it was really a difficult time for me. My marriage was coming to an end. Um, and so writing really became very therapeutic for me. Like I was struggling with, am I being the kind of mommy I need to be? Uh, and this story really helped me piece together what felt good for me as a mommy, uh, as I reflected on my, my mommy. I love that. Isn't that yeah. pretty? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and read it for us? Okay. So it is called The Seashell. My mother always seems to be preparing for the big one. Yes, it is true we live in Southern California, but I don't mean that big one. I mean the big garage sale. I mean big. Big enough to require the church parking lot. Her patio and garage, the drop-off point for donations, are a thrift shopper's dream. Items start off on the patio tables where they are sorted or aired out. Then they are moved to the garage or taken to the church. A date is set and she, with the help of the ladies group, turned the church parking lot into a bazaar. I admit, I myself have made several contributions, outgrown baby clothes and outdated home furnishings, but more often I have found small treasures no longer suitable to someone else. On one of my weekly visits to my parents' home, I was not surprised to find a new shipment of stuff sitting on her patio table. Like a shopper in Feline's basement, my instinct was to begin sorting through the heap. There might be something there for me. As I rummaged, my mother busied herself blowing soap bubbles for my children to chase. I was looking for bundles to sort through when my eye caught a glimpse of a familiar item. Sitting on her outdoor oven grill, tucked between potted plants, was a large and muddy faded seashell. I abandoned my search and walked over to get a better look. I thought to myself, this couldn't be the shell she had when we were young. I must have been four when I was introduced to the seashell. 
And I only know this because I distinctly remember being home alone with my baby brother and my mom. The other four kids must have been in school and my brother would have been too. When it was just Adam and me, we got along wonderfully. The house was peaceful with our mother humming songs as she did her household chores. My brother and I played together calmly until one of us wanted what the other had. Suddenly, we would interrupt my mother's sweet songs with screams. She would desert her unpleasant task for yet another unpleasant task, being referee. That is when she would bring down the seashell that was sitting high on a bookshelf. With her gentle voice, she would beckon us to come sit next to her and listen to the ocean. Shh, you have to be quiet, she would say. Listen, the ocean has left its song inside this shell. We stared at her curiously while she tenderly placed the huge shell against my ears. But mommy, I'd protest, I wanted my day in court. Shh, you have to be quiet and listen, she whispered as she wiped Adam's tears with her apron. I quietly listened and heard a soft whistle of wind. It was true. The ocean had left its song in there. Adam patiently waited his turn. I smiled with approval and certainty. Once I was satisfied, I surrendered the shell to my baby brother. He listened quietly, amazed at the soft whisper coming from the large shell that was bigger than his head. I tapped his shoulder as if to cut in on a dance. He didn't respond. Mommy, I cried. Shh. You won't be able to hear the ocean if you cry, she whispered. She nodded to Adam and he reluctantly gave me the shell. I inspected the inside of the shell and then placed it next to my ear. I thought of the only beaches I had ever known, the beaches of Ventura County, their cold, salty waters crashing down and chasing me back to our picnic area. I handed the seashell to Adam again. We repeated this gesture several times until our attention span gave way to another object of curiosity. The shell would return to its home, tucked in between books high on a bookshelf, and we would forget about it until another day when we were not able to play peacefully and when our mother would have to leave a bed undone or a floor unswept to distract us from our troubles. The shell would be called on again to make us sit still, be quiet, and listen. Standing on the patio, amid the garage sale items, I thought, this couldn't be the same seashell. She wouldn't put it in the backyard. I had to find out. Mom, is this the shell you used to have in the living room of the old house? During the early years of my childhood, we had lived in an old brick house. She looked up and tightened her lips, barely allowing a moan of affirmation to escape. I lifted it up gingerly, as if it were a tattered teddy bear or a blanket that had been a source of comfort to me as a child. What is it doing out here? I asked. There was pain and disbelief in my voice. She shrugged and barely smiled, leaving me to understand she was guilty as charged. And then, with a wily grin, she summoned a memory, something about that seashell. The memory was like a secret she had kept for years, a secret that now amused her. Do you know who gave me that shell? She reached out for it and I handed it to her. Examining it as if to consider its value, she laughed to herself and continued. It was a wedding gift from your Aunt Catalina. What? I teased her. You had this listed on your registry? Can you imagine that? She continued as we laughed together. This was a suitable gift for my wedding. Then she added proudly, Your aunt gave me her best.
At that moment, she looked like the beautiful 17-year-old bride that looks at me every day from a framed photograph that hangs on my bedroom wall. I reminded her of how she would make peace between Adam and me, and she smiled as if to thank me for the memory. We were silent. I then realized that this shell and an old camera were the only home furnishings left from my childhood. The old brick house had been torn down years ago. I then had another realization. Except for photographs, this shell was the only thing my mother had from her past in Mexico. This seashell had witnessed the playfulness of newlyweds and their collective planning for the future. While other home furnishings were sold or given away, the seashell was guarded for sentimental reasons. Nothing else would survive the countless moves they made. Covered in newspaper or a cloth, the shell was always packed safely, sometimes in a box, other times in a suitcase. Like a nomad, it traveled throughout Mexico, and then it found itself tucked in a trunk of a station wagon as it crossed the border into the United States. Across the length of California, the shell accompanied my mother and father in search of a home. Eventually, it would find a home in Simi Valley, California, perched up high on a bookshelf where it was safe from small hands. For six years, it watched us from that shelf as we played and fought. Then another move to a bigger house where the shell would sit on a lower shelf, unbothered and unnoticed for 28 years. Eventually, it was determined insignificant and placed outdoors. I reached for it again. With my hands, I brushed off the loose dirt and quietly listened to it. It still had the ocean song in it. I called my children over. Taylor, John John, come listen to the ocean. With my mother's permission, I brought the shell home with me. As I washed it and the cool water ran down the shell, its opening returned to its original shiny smooth surface. Now the seashell sits in my home, where she continues to quiet restless children with her song. As my brother and I had done years ago, my children wait impatiently for their turn to listen quietly to the ocean. Unable to resist the temptation, I too take my turn. The shell seems to have shrunk with time, but her surface still feels cool on the side of my face. Closing my eyes, expecting the soothing sound of the waves, instead, I hear a different song. The giddy laughter of a young bride, the deep voice of a lover, the gagging of morning sickness, the howls of labor pains, the cries of a fussy baby, short prayers, sweet humming of hymns, the sizzling of tortillas being fried for enchiladas, more gagging, more howls, more babies crying, the sighing of a lonely wife, several joyful reunions, silly jokes, tearful childhood stories, the scolding of a tired husband, tears, apologies, silence, long prayers, bedtime stories, a contagious laugh, the sound of household chores, seven monologues at the dinner table, wise advice, the 11 o'clock news, encouraging words, loving words, and tears of joy for every new grandchild. The seashell had made an eternal recording of my mother's song. Done. I know you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, you're not the only one who can't talk right now. <laughs> it was really so beautiful. Thank you. You know, when you started reading the other song that you hear at the end, um, you know, it's a life. You're describing a life. And we can all boil our life down into those sounds or those snapshots. And um, 
what's so moving to me is how truly universal that tiny little part of your story is. You know, we all have all those same sounds. That's, yeah. that's the piece that just resonates. You know, so and that whole, you know, you, you see your mother as a person. Yeah. And in those few pages, you just kind of track her life and the ups and downs and it not even always being easy. And, you know, you said that to write this kind of centered you and gave you a little bit of understanding of the struggle being a mom you were having, you know, when you realized, ah, your mom had some, some ups and some downs right. and uncertainty, just just like you did. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, having clarity about what my mother means to me gave me permission to also think in terms of what do I want to mean to my children? Yes. And um, I had not read this in a while, and I love that it um, talks about the um, tortillas Mm. being fried for enchiladas. What she, you know, what she would make me, (laughs) to make me happy, um, so I believed, were enchiladas. And um, that's what I remember of my mom. Like, Mm -hmm. when I look back at our relationship, I know there was disappointment, but what I remember are those enchiladas. (laughs) And so I, I realized that my children will look back and will also reflect and say, you know, I know my mom disappointed me in some areas, but I loved her chicken piccata. (laughs) You know, I'm hoping that they will sum me up, you know, with Emil. Um, and, And it really gave me permission to simplify my life by asking myself, well, who do I want them? Who do I want them to remember? Or what do I want them to remember? And um, I narrowed it down to just to three things. Which are? What are they? I want them to remember that I took them to school every day, Mm. that I cooked dinner for them almost every day, Mm. and that I prayed with them every night before they went to bed. Mm -hmm. And for me, that that, that became my checklist. If I climbed into bed and I felt guilty because there were dirty dishes or, um, concerned because of the uh, um, the um, balance in the checkbook mm-hmm. <laughs> or wondering if I had said the wrong thing or gave them the wrong answer for a question they had asked, mm-hmm. then I would go over my checklist. Did you take them to school today? Check. Mm-hmm. Did you make dinner? Check. Mm-hmm. Did you, you know, pray with them before they went to bed? Check. Okay, Deborah, you can go to bed now. You were a good mom. Winning. Yeah. And that that was, and really what I remember of my mom was not that the dishes were all done, but that she made enchiladas. She prayed. She told stories. Mm -hmm. And so many other things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's the coming down to three things when you're overwhelmed as a mother. That's good. I mean... There's so many bars people think they have to reach, especially today. I, I, I feel that for young moms because they are with social media and they see all these above and beyond and beautiful kids and great outfits. And, and I think at times the pressure might be harder. So if you could just come down to 
what are three things that I could check off every night and say I succeeded? Yeah. And, and it always had to be what makes me feel like I'm a good mom. Yes. Because if I feel that, um, then, then, then they will, that's what they're going to pick up on, you know? And Just the fact that you actually put attention on it. It's like anything it's intention. It's sort of, right. I, I just wrote a sermon last week for Maddie's wedding and it was all about intention, you yeah. know, and, and that's, that's what you're talking about. You had the intention to be a good mom and to hit these three marks to, so that your children knew that you were there, you're there. And that that's how you're expressing your love that goes into mothering, you know, that's caring. I do the same. I don't have three checklists, but I have a, there was a way my grandfather used to look at me that I always knew I was seen, you know what I mean? Mm. And, um, and I thought if I can only offer him that every day, that will be something he'll remember. And instead of, (laughs) you know, thank God I can cut this out. But, but but instead of, what was I saying? Oh, if that's the only thing that he can carry with, that he knows that he was seen, that's enough for me, you know? And so anytime I feel irritated, I I try to catch myself. It's almost like a, it's almost like meditation or a mantra or that I just, Oh, wait a minute. What am I irritated? What the hell am I possibly irritated about that? He didn't take his dishes into the sink. I mean, seriously, does that matter in the long run? It does not. That he got a B on a test. I mean, I'm not that person, but some people are, you know, no, all I want is when he's feeling, however he's feeling, I want to be the person that comes to the door with with that look on my face of how much I love him, no matter what. Yeah. Yes. When the girls were little, when I would get off uh, thinking something was a big deal, and I don't know how I came up with this, <laughs> but I would just repeat their age. And mm. so if I'm in the middle about to have a, you know, whatever, and right. having a conniption about something ridiculous, and I'd just be like, you know what? You're acting like, and then I would just repeat their age. <laughs> so, and they would, you know, and I could still remember this one time and it was with Matiana. I was like, you're acting like a five-year-old. And she goes, but I am five. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, and I could shake myself out of being so ridiculous yeah. about things. Yeah. You know, and I had to figure out ways to get myself centered sometimes, you know, because I can have a temper. I can, you know, it's just, you know, and, and, and children I, can be ch- annoying. And children are <laughs> annoying. Yeah. But when they were small, I I learned to just if I said their age out loud, I can so laugh at myself for thinking right. this was serious. Right. Because the truth is you're saying that to you. Oh, that's right. what I'm saying yeah. it to. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, and I and I remember early on trying to center myself to what is important. You're losing your mind about I don't even know whatever it was. And it was probably the stupidest thing. And how could I center myself? And I came up with the idea, just say their age out loud. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you're just like, that's good. That is so that's a re- good thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, I realized as a, as, and, and I, I was a very young mom when Sarah was born a couple of months later, I turned 20. So yes. everybody knows my age, but anyhow, <laughs> um, and I remember, um, having this understanding that it was my, my privilege, my job, um, my privileged job 
to give her everything she needs so that she won't need me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that was my goal with my mm-hmm. girls. Yeah, and it was like, okay, you know, and and so it and it's always been about that, giving my children everything they need so, so they, they won't need, need me. me. That's mm-hmm. so good because we're raising adults. We're not raising right. children. Yes. And so many people approach it like you're raising kids. Right. Yeah. But we're not raising kids. Yeah. And if you and it's so that's so wise of you to have come to at such as a young mom. I mean at mostly how young you were. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. That you came <laughs> yeah. to that at a young such a young age. Cause yeah. I mean, I didn't come to that till I hit fifty. But anyway. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Yeah. I remember um you know, my, my mom was older. She was 43 when she had me. And um, she mentioned once to my aunt, I was in another room and I don't know what it was said. And she goes, I don't know if I'll see her graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. And I heard her say that. Mm-hmm. And so there was always a, a thought that my mom might not be around for me, always, mm-hmm. always that. And when I raised the girls, it was with the intention that I might not always be around. Mm-hmm. I did try to give them as many skills, tools, coping, teaching them resilience, how to get on the other side of things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. how how not to save them. How to um, solve problems. How to solve problems. Yeah. I, I deliberately, I, I was deliberate. And when Steve and I got separated, um, the girls were too seven and nine. And I just, I think that's when I went into high gear with it Mm. before it was a thought, but when we were separated, I thought, Oh my goodness, I only have them 50% of their childhood life now. I only have them for half the time. What am I going to do? There's so much I have to teach them. And that's when I really, I, I mean, I hunkered down on the philosophy of raising adults. And it's interesting that you say that because um, recently, I I like everybody else have been watching uh, Marie Kondo on Netflix, um, and so you know I've been getting rid of a lot of stuff, and um, I had a closet, a walk-in closet full of the kids' childhood, and there none of the kids are living at home, <laughs> and so um, I went through it and found, you know, math quizzes. Oh yeah, I kept everything spelling test the ribbon they received for waking up that day you know everything (laughs) from preschool and so i was talking to my son and saying oh i found you know i found these items and he asked he said why did you hang on to those things and i said you know i think i was afraid i wasn't going to be around as an adult or or that i wasn't going to be around when you became an adult and I wanted you to have a story. And mm. so I I saved everything so that there would be something that would tell you about your childhood mm. because I was afraid I wouldn't be around. So that's so interesting. It's Yeah. So I shared that same, you know, oh, concern that your mom had that yeah. you, you wouldn't be able to usher your children into adulthood. So let me let me let me make a little a little adult right now. Mm-hmm. Never mind that they're four. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is it is really interesting. Um, what I think is really important about the podcast, and especially about our conversation, um, is that a lot of young mothers are looking at blogs and um, written by young mothers who are barely going through these things, and like 
moms like us who have these adults now. So all adults who talk to us, (laughs) who talk to us (laughs) and will tell us how things were or how it all worked out or where it was. So for young mothers to learn from women who have already walked the walk, we had theories, we had ideas. Some of them landed like really quite flat and uh, they we had to give them up or we learned later that, you know what, my kid is still complaining about that thing I used to do or that sarcasm I used to use or whatever. And it just, it, it cuts me. So I yeah. think the mentorship that our podcast has um, for an audience is is pretty remarkable. And we have gotten some feedback from young moms about liking that about the podcast, having to look at what they're doing presently because mm. they're learning from women who have already done it. Who've been there. You know, it's it goes back to how the the village mentality, it does take a village. Yeah. All yes. the red tent. We used to help each other. We'd right. be in one tiny community. And this woman would come in and, and midwife and birth it and tell you what to do in the first 20 hours. I mean, did anybody tell us what to do at the hospital? I, I was so lost yeah. when that baby was born. And you know, this is why people hire night nurses. This is why people have mothering groups. But like you said, they're figuring it out with each other. Yes. As opposed to having those mentors that were just built in in a, in a community in the old days. Well, you know? and I think Deb and I probably had that because we are both Mexican. So we I had mean, our mother. We had our mother. I had, I had my, my sisters. Right. You have your grandmother right. forever. I mean, yeah. I well, had my I sisters. Might have. I had a baby before I was 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my mom, uh, for all my kids, had to be like the month before, at least three weeks before staying with me. And then um, yeah. for a month after. Yeah. I didn't have that. Yeah. And I can remember having Matiana and she just, I'm at home and she's looking at me and I'm crying. I don't even know why I'm crying. And she's like, just give me the baby. Go to sleep. And she, she just like lays me down, covers me and takes the baby. You that's know? why you were crying. You were tired. <laughs> yeah, I was tired. Yeah. But it was, I would, that's how I remember. And that's, you know, my girls, I'm modeling my mothering off of my mother in the sense of, unwavering. Um, mm-hmm. They can know where I stand at all times. I love them and I will always protect them and I will be there for them. And um, that that was one of the three that if I had to pick yeah. my three that I did, like they knew where I stood. Right. Yes. And firmly. You, know, you were um, talking about, uh, you know, my, my child or, you know, they, or my daughter doesn't like this that I used to do or my sarcasm, whatever, you know, I've always felt that my children are my crown, but the jewel on that crown has been, um, the ability for my adult children to point out things that I might've said or did Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. weren't kosher. Oh, absolutely. And to have a tearful conversation, uh, Mm -hmm. with a, with an apology mm-hmm. yes. and, and just this amazing love from them and from me and to really, to understand that, you know, they knew that I loved them and that I, everything that I did was intentional um, from a place of love, but it wasn't, you know, didn't always hit the mark. <laughs> but what you're talking about right now is, how much you respected your children in yeah. order to sit there, ask the question and then be willing to listen mm-hmm. and take responsibility for where it may not have hit the mark. You right. know what I mean? And that is huge because that means number one, you raise them well enough that they feel they can talk to you mm-hmm. and tell you the truth of what bothered them. But right. also 
it speaks to, I mean, I think maybe it's maybe one of the most important things we can do for our kids is respect them in that way. Right. Listen to them. They actually will teach us, like Bird was saying, they are our teachers. They they can be our teachers, you know, if we're willing to yeah. be still and listen. And put our ego aside and, our ego and not aside. have to be right. Do and you want right. you know, to, you know, not have to be the or boss. The, yeah. Exactly yeah. what I said. Yeah. Right. I've often said about my children that they did a really good job raising me. Right. <laughs> I think that's the big surprise for all of us when yeah. we become parents. It's like, wow, oh my God, they're they're the ones raising me to be a better human being, mm-hmm. you know, no yeah. question. I mean, yeah. you you can't uh, get over a challenge until it's sitting before you or you gave birth to it or, you know, whatever it is. And they are pretty remarkable. I just want to say that when I referred to Bird, that was a different episode we had with this lovely writer, Bird Size Love, and, and a big thrust of it was talking about, I'm just going for people who are like, Bird, what is she talking about? A bird, <laughs> a bird did what? <laughs> just in case yeah. nobody heard that. <laughs> it was a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. I love this. I love this too. What a great story. I mean, were you signing off? Yeah. Yeah. I love this too. What a great story. What beautiful, beautiful song at the end. I mean, I think I'll carry that forever, you know, just those images, those smells, those sounds of a life lived that we can all so totally relate to. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm very blessed. My mom is Still an amazing mom, still making enchiladas. Wow. Lucky. How lucky is she? Still praying. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That is the best. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Well, thanks for joining us. Yes, loved it. Yeah. And um, another thing is um, Deb wrote this, yes, and she can write beautifully, but um, she doesn't do this by trade. So it's another example of everybody has a story to tell. And we invite you to share your story with us here on If It's Not One Thing, It's Your Mother. Okay, that's the show. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment.